Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I am Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, expressive arts therapist, friendly neighborhood bisexual babe, and your mechanic. And you, our lovely listener, are the driver taking us ever onward in this journey of curiosity and discovery. Today's quote is by Laverne Cox. We are born as who we are. The gender thing is something that is imposed on you. Okay, so we've wrapped up our last arc on conflict, and we're kicking off a new series of episodes today. The subject is gender and sexuality, and this episode we're going to go over some broad terms and definitions. So let's define things. All right, so disclaimer here at the top of things is there are so many more terms than what I'm about to go over. A lot of what I'm going to be talking about today is stuff that will come up in future episodes as we discuss LGBT culture, queer culture, all of these different things. And again, be prepared to learn, do research. We'll have stuff linked in our show notes. It's pretty easy to Google and find new and more information. So we'll start with that. One of the biggest umbrellas to talk about is the heteronormative narrative, which is a lot of words, right? It's not a lot of words. It's just a a lot lot of of syllables. syllables, That one. Mm -hmm. Two words, many syllables. Yeah. So the heteronormative narrative is this default narrative that everyone's straight, cisgender, and there's a two-person couple. That's it. That's what a relationship looks like. And that's just not true. There are a lot of different types of relationships. There's a lot of different ways to be in relationship with others. Some words that fit into this is cisgender. So this is someone who the sex they are assigned at birth and their gender identity are congruent. A transgender individual is someone whose sex assigned at birth is not congruent with the gender identity that they have. We have a straight couple, which is a cisgender. Is it specifically cisgender individuals? So the heteronormative narrative is about a cisgender, someone whose birth sex and gender identity are congruent, who is straight, a cisgender person who's attracted to the opposite gender in a binary gender-defined world, and couple, the intent here is a monogamous relationship between two cisgender people. I would say like the assumption in the narrative is monogamous relationship between two people. Yes. And historically, you have to remember that the reason we're having such a difficult time transitioning here is there's a strong intent in the old narrative to make this the definition of what is normal, hence the name heteronormative. So I think that's it's an important anchor point because we're shifting away from that anchor. You disagree, Kim? I guess. No, I was laughing because I was going to say, I guess we should have had Don define the heteronormative narrative because that's what you've grown up with. And as you can see, I struggle because I'm like, well, as someone who is bisexual and would happily date anyone regardless of 
external genitalia or gender identity, which we'll get into this later as far as more terminology technically fits pansexual better than bisexual. But regardless, that's why I stumbled and was like, well, is that necessarily true? Because you have straight passing individuals and sure, I look like I'm in a straight relationship if I am dating someone who is male passing, but am I truly dating someone who's male passing if... But so again, define male is, passing, female passing, that means someone who appears to society as one thing, regardless of correct. what they may experience inside. Correct. So who fits the assumption of what a man would look like, mm -hmm. regardless of how they identify or what external or internal genitalia that they have. That's gender passing or male passing. And then straight passing would be me being in a relationship with someone who, to the wider world, looks like a man, whether or not that person identifies with the male gender. Does that make sense? Sure. Or perhaps was um, had male sex assigned at birth. Correct. And had not gone through any transitioning. Right. So that would be male passing or a passing individual. And then I would be in what would be considered a straight passing relationship because to anyone outside of our relationship, what do we look like? A heteronormative straight cisgender Couple. relationship. Mm -hmm. So now, listeners, are can we you tell yet? us? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, even within our own definitions, we're stumbling over what does this truly mean? And is this narrative correct anymore, which in my opinion, no, the basic heteronormative narrative is outdated. Yeah, uh, that's right. It's it's stuck in the binary of you're either male or you're female, and there's not an in-between. So you're either straight or you're gay. You're either male or you're female. And that's the narrative of the binary. So you'll hear us talk about that as well. What we have learned as people talk more about their identities is that it's more of a, a spectrum. It's not boxes that you can check, but the paperwork is all boxes based. And the true identity, the experience of it is not boxes. It's a spectrum. Uh, a really cool resource for that is the Gender Unicorn, which was developed in 2014 by Trans Student Educational Resources. It's useful. It identifies and differentiates qualities of people and relationships that have been taken for granted in the heteronormative narrative for millennia. Uh, they look at five specific areas. You've got gender identity, gender expression, sex assigned at birth, physically attracted to, and emotionally attracted to. I don't want to contradict too much here because I don't haven't done enough research about this. The millennia thing, there's... A couple of people I follow on Instagram, one who's very outspoken about gender nonconformity. One of the things they do frequently is post historical stuff about how this has played out in the past. And one of the things that's been fascinating to me about some of those posts is we live in Western culture. We live in the United States, which is a European based for the most part, our culture. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. There's like a lot. a lot of Europeans are about to be like, don't associate <laughs> with that. 
<laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. It's, it's yes. Western. Uh, we were settled by Western European, European colonialism, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And there's a lot that goes into that. And there's a lot that's not a part of that. And so this person has posted about other cultures that have embraced some form of a spectrum instead of a binary or some form of not everybody fits into male, female or gay, straight in like long ago, or even polyamory and polygamy and all of that. Like those things have existed. Sure. So the, the heteronormative narrative part is in some ways a more modern construct that we are now like in this society and culture getting out of. I think um, it's a yes. And cause I also think it's strongly impacted by the Christian narrative. Yes, um, that's true. And I do mean it as a yes. And I, that's why I didn't yeah. want to like derail. So, but I think that a lot of the like current tension in our society true. right now is more of like modern Western heteronormative stuff, getting out of that and, discovering more of the spectrum and identities. It's an excellent so, point. Although there have been cultures that have embraced actually a third gender or other genders or even gender fluidity, which is called the two-spirit, I think it is, which is a Native American concept translated into English. Indigenous. For millennia, there have been many cultures who have seen it as binary. So if you read Confucius or you read Lao Tzu, that was a binary approach to the world. There were men and there were women. There wasn't talk of folks who were more fluid. I don't know that for a fact. There may have been a contemporary of Confucius that spoke differently. That's one historic voice. Sure, but he was representing a culture at that point. Okay. And, and an that's what I meant, is that when a culture begins, there were definitely people who were all of these things. And that has been true since the beginning of time. Some cultures have been more accepting of them, and some cultures have been more rejecting of them. So it's not just North America. It's not just European. This challenge has been around in lots of different cultures over time. Yeah, and I think that's most of my point. And it was just, it was a learning experience for me seeing this post on Instagram describing different historical stuff that I was not aware of. Yeah. Welcome to the fun confusion of learning and growing and changing terminology. And practicing and, acceptance. Yes. Where are we now? I got through the five areas. <laughs> so we're talking gender about identity. some of the words that are part of gender identity. And the historical kind of aspect and societal narrative of it, which we'll get into on a deeper basis in a future episode, because that is something I want to talk about more and beginning to normalize the fluidity, the growth and the acceptance of a life outside of the heteronormative narrative. So back to some definitions around gender identity, using specifically a, a list of terms from Young Scott, which is a Scotland-based LGBT program, which is pretty cool. So starting, and we're going in alphabetical order. You have agender, which is someone who does not identify with a specific gender or might go by gender neutral or genderless. You have bigender. So this is a person who fluctuates between the traditional male and female categories. Right. Based on the behaviors. Binary. Yeah. Behaviors and external yeah. representations of male and female from traditional yes. points of view. Yes. Thank you. So thank uh, you have Iggy Pop. 
Oh, you don't know Iggy Pop. I know the name and I was trying to pull an image for my brain and it wasn't working. You have cisgender, which we've talked about earlier. Gender fluid. So this is a person who feels a mix of masculine and feminine identities and this can shift day to day. We've got gender queer, a person who does not identify as a man or a woman. This is an umbrella term around the non-conforming and non-binary identities. Intersex, this is someone who is born with external genitalia that is not just male or female, whose external genitalia does not match internal organs, or who has internal organs of both male and female sexes. Gender variant, someone who does not conform to gender-based expectations of society. So this is the person, Ben, that you were describing that doesn't want any label. Yeah, I think... And, and perhaps I'm wrong, but I feel like a few of these, there's a lot, there's overlap. Oh, yes. I mean, and, and some of them are umbrella terms. So but almost definitionally, there would be overlap. But I am not sure the difference between bigender and gender fluid and even to some extent gender queer and gender variant. But, but it's also up to the individual what they identify with most strongly. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest things for me learning all of this is it's very much about individuality and it's okay for people to to be who they are and be who they are and, and recognize acceptance. that your your terminology might change for yourself over time so for the longest time i've identified as bisexual and i'm realizing now that pansexual has become a no- more normalized term that my true experience of the world fits pansexual better. Mm-hmm. However, I still use the term bisexual because that's what I'm comfortable with. Plus, I like the bisexual flag way better than the pansexual flag. Sorry, pansexual friends. But um, you just described something that folks in who are older, 40 and older, let's say, are also struggling with. They used a particular set of language to describe their experience in the world. And now there's this whole new set. It's a whole new lexicon. That, as mm-hmm. Ben was pointing out, there's overlap and cross things, and it really depends on the person you're talking to and how they identify. Which is why it's so important to pay attention to them and hear their story and ask questions, especially as things change, trying to normalize pronouns. So this is something that's very prevalent right now, at least in America, is normalizing pronouns and On my signature, on my professional email, it says preferred pronouns, she, her. Actually, I dropped the preferred. It just now says pronouns, she, her. And that's small. It's not a big thing. It doesn't change anything in my life. It just normalizes that other people might have something that's different. And that's okay. It also helps someone who's just meeting you know how to talk to you without being unintentionally insulting. Correct. And as a mental health professional, I always ask during my intakes, what are your preferred pronouns so I can make sure that my notes fit what you want? And if someone wants they, them pronouns, guess what? I'm writing with they, them pronouns. And that doesn't hurt me at all. I am very capable of doing this, and it's a small thing that affirms and supports someone who is on this journey of being outside of the heteronormative narrative. 
What about gender expression? What's that? A lot of things. Gender expression is how someone outwardly shows their gender identity. So think clothes, behavior, grooming patterns, name and pronoun choices, all of those things fit into the gender expression. I had an example of this and I have now forgotten what it was. Well, drag kings and drag queens are folks like that. They're assigned or even identified sex is not what they're expressing out to the world. And again, this is fitting into that binary and the expectation of what masculine and femininity look like. Yeah, that's a whole complex other episode, isn't it? Right. Of what does a female, and I'm putting quotes because you guys can't see me, I realize, what does quote, quote, female look like and quote, male look like? And as time has passed and women wearing pants has become normalized, you know, the way society defines the visual representation of male and female has changed and is growing. And again, gender expression And general life expression is something that can't be categorized into boxes. And that's going to be my general notation over all of these episodes. There's no boxes in this. You can't put Kim in a box. Can't put Kim in a box. Never. No boxes. You can put her in a barrel, but you can't put her in a box. No, no barrels either. (laughs) Thank you. So think back to the 1960s when many teenagers and young adults decided to become very different in how they presented out in the world. So men were growing their hair long, and that was absolutely a huge clash between folks who were running the old narrative of what the gender should look like and how they should be expressed with the new narrative of, really, it's my choice, it's my hair. They even did an entire play and movie about that whole concept. Called hair? Called hair, yeah. Long, beautiful hair. Was it hair hair or hairspray? That's a different one. Hairspray is a different one. Came later. Hair was written in the 70s. Good to know. Anyway, so that's the gender expression. And some people move through it more fluidly than others. Some people dress a specific way. I think about this a lot for myself as far as how I dress and the clothes that I wear and what it means for me specifically to dress more feminine versus more masculine, which has been fun and an interesting internal narrative and battle. So I cut my hair short recently. This is just a great example of the societal narrative and societal expectation versus what's true for me and true in general as far as choices go and autonomy. So my hair is very short. It's cut in kind of a more masculine style now. That's right. Looks like a fade. Yeah. Thank you. I was looking for that word. And so it it's looks cut beautiful, more of, by the way. Thank you. It's cut more in a fade. I have a friend who is getting married in September. And so I'm like thinking about what am I going to wear to their wedding? And I had this moment as I thought about this where I was like, my hair's short. I can't wear a dress. <laughs> And I paused and was like, what? Where does, that is the most structured fitting into the heteronormative gender expectation thought that I've ever had in my life. I physically cringed at myself when I thought that and was like, Kimberly, 
you can wear whatever you want, first of all. Second of all, you hate wearing dresses. Why does this bother you? And then I just laughed at myself and I'm continuing to explore what it is I want to wear and how I want to present myself to the world. But that's the example of gender expression is how people view and see me physically. Mm -hmm. It's also a great example of how inculcated we become in a culture to the point where we're not aware. And if we don't become mindful, you had a mindful moment where you noticed the thought. If we don't actually do this reflection, you go along with the crowd. You get swept up by whatever the current is, and then you're not living your life. Or if I had followed through with that thought of, I have short hair, I can't wear a dress anymore, that leads to me feeling physically uncomfortable later when I'm sure. wearing a dress and I don't feel comfortable in it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the second area of the gender unicorn. The third area is sex assigned at birth. Correct. Which, you know, still complicated, but a little more straightforward. So that's the medical terminology based on genitalia and hormone levels. So male, female, intersex. Intersex being, again, that definition of having both genitalia, whether it's internal or external. This may be known at birth or it might become apparent at puberty. That was actually a fascinating bit that I learned because I was learning a bunch today looking at some of this stuff. And there was a description, a very short description of the life of an intersex person who didn't know they were intersex until they hit about 11 years old and once a month would have these horrible abdominal pains and was told, oh, you're just trying to get attention. And it wouldn't be until she was 24 that she would actually discover that she had a uterus, but her vagina was sealed off. So when she would menstruate every month, but it had nowhere to go, creating this bloating and pain until the body absorbed stuff. And medical science thwarted her left and right. She had to go to uh, a Northern European country, I think it was Norway, to actually get help for someone to identify what was going on for her. Yeah, it's super interesting. And reading people's stories speaks so much to the binary of Western culture. And again, as Ben pointed out, specifically American culture. I thought you were going to say speaks so much to the incredible variety of human experience and existence. Yeah. And that too. You are your own person. Your experience is always going to be the most important thing to you because it's your experience, like you're in it. But every other human on the planet has an experience as complex and varied as your own. And... And meaningful. It's really hard to remember that. In fact, I would say it's impossible to keep that in your head at all times. And this um, is the practice of acceptance that I was talking about before. You have to practice. I want to know your story instead of I want to put you in a box. It also bit. reminds me of that gentle curiosity we're always talking about. Yes. Yes. That's the third one. Fourth one is who you're physically attracted to. Physical attraction also being sexual attraction. So the desire to be physically intimate with someone. And again, there's the binary men, women, there's the spectrum, other genders, and it's possible that you're just not physically attracted to anyone. Mm -hmm. And that's okay too. The terminology for that is asexual or aromantic. Aromantic, would aromantic would be the next one, mean, right? Emotional. <laughs> aromantic would be you don't feel 
a lot of emotional attraction to others. Correct. So which, I, yeah, I jumped. Uh, which is, you know, the, the gender unicorn separates out physical sexual attraction and emotional attraction because it is a valid experience to be emotionally attracted to different people than you are physically attracted to. That's also correct. Mm-hmm. And it it's interesting as you explore identity and speaking from my own experiences, I've learned and grown and become more comfortable in who I am and how I'm expressing to the world. That concept of bisexuality and being sexually attracted to others versus emotionally attracted to others and finding it easier for me to connect with emotionally on an emotional level it's easier for me to connect with specifically women or non-binary trans individuals versus emotionally connecting to men which is speaks a lot to my own gentle issues i'm wondering if we should split this episode into two episodes because <laughs> we got a whole other section talking about specifically relationships and sexual attraction And we're already at half an hour just defining personal identification. So maybe this is the self-identification episode. And then we have a, how does this apply to relationships with others, sexual and emotional attraction? Does that work? That sounds good. That sounds fine to me. It's so complex. Yeah. But that's what makes it interesting. Yes. And it's part of why... I feel passionate and it's important to talk about it is that it's so complex and it's hard to find people who will sit down and go through definitions with you. And I suppose it's not necessarily hard to find those people, but sometimes it's hard to approach that and ask the questions. Mm -hmm. So hopefully by providing definitions, it gives you, our listeners, a step into it and it makes you more comfortable in researching it for yourself or finding someone who's willing to talk to you. And I'll be straight. I won't ever be straight. Uh, (laughs) I will be open and say that I'm happy to talk with people about this and explore and learn. And if you ask me a question and I don't know, I'm happy to research with you and learn with you. That's a better summary than I could give, really. I was going to say essentially the same thing. We're going to include some links in the show notes. And next time we will talk about how all of this applies to relationships with others. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us via email or Facebook. We're, We're out here. Thank you for listening. And until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m. So don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azavidofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. 
To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.